0: Building a better story world is back again, dear listeners, and that means it's time for me, Steele Philipek, to take you on a trip into the worlds of imagination. As a producer, writer, and transmedia expert, I've worked on multiple universes, both large and small, for the better part of two decades. I'm here to share some of the experiences and lessons I've picked up along the way, so that you can create narrative realms that are satisfying for you and audiences. Prompts and exercises are here for those who want to take part, but anybody who would like to learn about the craft of creating compelling, imaginative landscapes are welcome. We're continuing on in our current exploration of pragmatic tips and tools for world creation. Last week, we detailed how you can skillfully utilize exposition, and we'll be covering similar ground today, but from a different angle, quite literally, in that we're going to be discussing juxtaposition. In dramatic terms, juxtaposition is the deliberate placement of two or more narrative elements characters, locales, actions, plot beats, whatever, beside each other for the purpose of examination. Sometimes this is done to contrast seemingly disparate things to reveal their similarities. You complete me. You're garbage You kills for money. Don't talk like one of them, you're not! Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. While at other times it is to highlight the disparities in seemingly similar ways. You know what the difference is between you and me? I make this look good. That's basic dramatic stuff, and like the elements detailed in the previous episode, this works regardless of whether or not you're creating a story world. Since this podcast is about story worlds, however, we're going to be using that lens, as well as a particular film that utilizes juxtaposition for both purposes to give a little bit of something to everybody. You know, when I started picking, thought I'd catch the pest, but then my belly started getting big. Nobody ever told me these things i never seen a pregnant woman before, but I knew. Children of Men was not a box office smash when it hit theaters in 2005, but its compelling narrative and its amazing visuals have turned it into a cult hit in the years since. Its story world is high concept. Nearly two decades have passed since any human child has been born. And the synopsis can be summed up quickly, too. A pessimistic drunk must steward the first pregnant woman in 18 years to the safety of a legendary and possibly fictitious international organization that promises to help her and potentially discover a cure for whatever plague has struck humanity. So, Human Project is having this dinner, and all the wisest men in the world are there. Human and they- Project, What do people believe this crap? You know, even if these people existed with these facilities in secret locations, even if they discovered the cure for infertility, it doesn't matter. Too late. Those are two of the only simple things in this film. Its themes show the unease between faith and knowledge, its characters showcase complexities that can't be distilled into simple morality, and its plot rolls out at a rapid pace without ever feeling rushed. Plus, with the skillful direction of Alfonso Cuaron, it is a visual feast that features numerous minutes-long tracking shots that are rich in story detail. You'll note that each of these elements highlights juxtaposition in some way, Religion versus science. Good and evil. Minutia amidst the grand scale. You could do worse than to watch the film from beginning to end, and note how this is used in dozens of ways to subtly engage the viewer without overburdening them. We'll be covering just a few, so if you're intrigued by what I have to say, by all means, give it a shot. For our purposes today, we're going to be using the beginning since, as we stated in episode 15, opening salvos are critical for welcoming your audience into your story world. The opening also highlights three critical bits of juxtaposition. Indirect revelation. Indirect characterization. Indirect narratology. You'll note the theme here, indirect. Exposition is all about stating things outright. Juxtaposition is all about allowing the audience to come to their own conclusions. In each case, you need at least two similar narrative elements, one more overt and one more subtle, that your fans can contrast in the moment. We'll call these big components and small components for brevity's sake, but don't think in terms of size. This is about comparison in all senses, and sometimes you'll find that, say, larger-than-life characters are only supportive to the narrative. I met a dolphin down there, and I swear to God that dolphin looked, not at me, but into my soul, and said, I'm saving you, Megan not with his mouth but he said it i'm assuming telepathically we had a connection while more subtle figures are the elements that stick with audiences i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend for dinner bye dr light For Story World purposes, let's look at how Children of Men reveals its key premise, that no more children are being born. It doesn't hold back. We find that out within the first minute. Opening up on a black screen, we get this bit of news reporting. Day 1000 of the Siege of Seattle. The Muslim community demands an end to the army's occupation of mosques. The Homeland Security Bill is ratified. After eight years, British borders will remain closed. The deportation of illegal immigrants will continue. Good morning, our lead story. The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. Using the news to highlight the world right at the beginning can be a dicey proposition, as it's both overused and a bit heavy-handed. But here, the filmmakers did a masterful job. How? By starting out with seemingly important, amazing, world-shattering moments that are thrown into contrast by a seemingly innocuous bit of news. A single death. Why this person is a celebrity is the world-building bit. Baby Diego is the youngest person in the world. It doesn't shove, no more babies are being born into your face. The narrative states it without stating it. Born in 2009, the son of Marcelo and Silvio Ricardo, a working-class couple from Mendoza, he struggled all his life with the celebrity status thrust upon him as the world's youngest person. As film is a visual medium, the way that the filmmakers reinforced this bit is equally important. We open on black screen, which forces the users to picture the events in their mind, and then we cut to people's reactions to this news. A small diverse group from all walks of life has gathered in a small shop and is watching television, grieving their loss together. For the siege of Seattle and perhaps a civil war in the U.S., the occupation of mosques, a bill that keeps borders closed and illegal immigrants illegal? No. The death of a celebrity. In this, we get the four basic elements of story world building. The lie. Without stating it outright, we learn what differentiates this world. The fun. A world without children would have unexpected consequences, such as turning young people into celebrities. Themes. Mockery of celebrity culture, particularly British celebrity culture. Audience complicity. The crowd is stunned by this event, which shows how important this is for them, with the implication that this child is the world's child. It's a quick bit that has a huge payoff, because this is all done in contrast with small and big components. The audience doesn't see, and then they see. The unfamiliar, seemingly innocuous news is focused upon, to the exclusion of the familiar, seemingly more important news. The reaction to this event is the important bit, rather than the event itself. All great storytelling, particularly given that it is in service to a broader story universe. And now, if you're following along, you're going to do it too. I want you to write the setup for one scene set in a story world you're familiar with. This can happen at any point from beginning to end, can have any number of characters, and can be big or small in terms of plot, so long as it has those four elements listed above. To highlight those for you, I want you to write down one sentence for each. The lie. What is the primary differentiator of your story world that you want to get across? The fun. What is at least one of your fun bits that pepper your universe? Theme. What is one theme you want to highlight? Audience complicity. How will you get your audience to figure these things out without stating it outright? You should give yourself space in this because you're going to write two components under each of those entries, one big and one small. What are the big and small components that highlight the lie? What are the big and small components that detail the fun? What are the big and small components that hint at the theme? What are the big and small components that get the audience working all of this out on their own? These components, remember, can be anything. Characters, locales, plot points, visuals. Anything you can think up. The important part is that the audience is allowed to compare or contrast them on their own. Don't shove it in front of them. Allow the differences or similarities to emerge organically. This may take some time and is a good deal of work, so feel free to pause before continuing. Character and plot are the foundation of our next segment in this episode. And what timing, because we're about to meet the protagonist of Children of Men. Theo. He walks into the cafe orders coffee, and leaves. That's it for now. Why? We'll get to that in a second, but when you watch the film, note how he's introduced to us, or rather, how he's not introduced to us. He has a single line in the scene. He was killed in the ensuing brawl. The fan was later beaten to death by the angry crowd. But otherwise, his characterization is shown by how other people are reacting. He's the one person in that store who is unmoved by what he sees on the screen. In fact, people give him dirty looks when he pushes past to get to the front of the line so he can get his Joe. He hesitates a moment to look at the screen, where we get a little more about Diego and how he suffered throughout his life with the world of celebrity. But then Theo marches right back out. Other people are crying, but he isn't. He's cried out. Not that we know that now, but don't worry, the film will get to it. There's a deliberateness here. One that I definitely appreciate. Too often, creators feel like they need their characters to do big and bombastic things to get audiences to understand them. This scene shows that this is not always the case. Yes, you should make your characters active, but don't forget to show them in relief compared with other characters. Characters aren't in motion all the time. You should allow them to breathe a little bit, both so that we can meet other characters and so that we can see how they compare to one another. In a similar sense, you don't need to have mammoth events happen on screen, or on the page, or in the panel, or however else you're showcasing your vision. Having things happen elsewhere and showing people's reactions can liven up a script or get things moving. We don't need to see how Leia got the plans for the Death Star. All we need to know is that there's a big bad empire and a small unstable rebellion, personified in a hulking dark knight and a tiny but unintimidated royal. Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. The Imperial Senate will not sit still for this. When they hear you've attacked a diplomatic- don't act so surprised, Your Highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. Several transmissions were beamed to the ship by rebel spies. I want to know what happened to the plans they sent you. How might you approach this? For a prompt, I want you to go back to that first scene I had you work on. It's a scene, so you should have a couple of characters in there. If not, add them now. Give these characters a purpose that they are trying to accomplish in this scene. Were you to write this out in full, I'd have it tie into the overarching structure, but it's just an exercise for now, so don't worry about that. Much more important are their choices, or lack thereof. I want each of your characters to take one action in this scene to try to get what they want. This can be cooperative or competitive, consecutive or concurrent. The critical element is that each action should, in some way, highlight the other character's history, personality, goal, strength, or flaw. What is the reaction, if any? How big is it? In what style? And how will that reaction, in turn, showcase the characterization of the first character? Play around with this a bit. The scene doesn't have to be very long, and it doesn't have to be filled with kung fu or duels, though those obviously make for some nice visual contrast. Focus on the characters, their actions, and their reactions. When you're done with that, pausing if needs be, we can get to the next element of juxtaposition. Indirect narratology. This refers to plot, theme, and much else. By juxtaposing narrative elements together, creators can highlight each without needing to craft exposition. In the case of Children of Men, we get this at the end of the scene. Theo walks out of the cafe, where we get a glimpse of the dirty world. What's amazing to us is ho-hum to Theo. He lives in this world. What's important to him is revealed when he reaches into his coat for a pint of liquor. He pours the spirit into his coffee and is about to take a sip when an explosion destroys the cafe he was just in. How does Theo react? He falls away in fright as someone emerges from the cafe, holding their own arm. This scene doesn't kick off the plot of the film proper, though Theo will suffer hearing loss that will become a plot point later on in the film. Instead, it gives us a glimpse into the narrative that we are about to experience in two ways. First, the hero, or rather the protagonist, as Theo isn't a very heroic figure. We don't have to see such a stalwart, muscle-bound, catchphrase-quipping character to understand that Theo is cut from a different cloth. He doesn't rush into the building to rescue people. He's scared. He's also a bit of a drunk. That was his motivation in the prior scene. Get a cup of coffee so he can cover up his alcoholic predilections. Does he really care about what people think? Nah, but he still goes through the motions. We don't need to see Theo's entire life history to see that he's hurting, but somehow still keeping up appearances, much like the rest of the world. Second, the plot. There is a dichotomy between the haves in this world and the haves not that is turned to extremism. This speaks to unspoken themes, referencing terrorism, faceless killers, and humanity's seemingly unquenchable thirst for blood, even as the world itself is burning to the ground. You don't have to have a grounding in English history to understand how this references the troubles in the UK's colonial history. In fact, it doesn't matter. Such elements are unfortunately universal. Having a bit of grounding does help to explore more of the depths of the thematic content, but it is not required because the audience can supply their own people's history to make the themes work. Note the juxtaposition in each of these elements, and how much of the load the audiences must carry. We don't see Theo directly compared to heroes. We don't have an expose on the future history of this world. We will get more of each in time, but for the moment, the audience is drawing the connections for themselves. That is the power of indirect narratology for story world building. Audience complicity. How did this world come to be? Why are these characters the way they are? What kind of journey are we about to go on? By giving your fans just enough and juxtaposing it with things that aren't even there, you'll be giving them a fast pass to your world of imagination. Easier said than done, of course. So let's take one more exercise to help you highlight juxtaposition on your own. For that scene that you've been working on in the prompts, I want you to write down two tables, characters and plot. Underneath these tables, I want you to write at least five bullet points apiece, detailing elements of what your characters and plot are. Are the figures in your scene lovers, rivals, strangers? Is your plot one of adventure, horror, mystery? These bullet points can be anything, but should showcase elements of your scene and world. How are you building these out concretely? Then below those bullet points, and in cursive or in a different font if you're using a computer, I want you to write out at least five bullet points that you want to showcase that your characters and plots are not. Such elements might be found in other works, but they're not in yours. If you're writing a horror film, for instance, you may be detailing that your main character is tough because he runs toward the killer rather than away from them like so many others. He's not trapped in here with them. We're trapped in here with him. The tricky bit is, of course, that the audience doesn't have a split screen to compare the two. You're going to have to juxtapose your story against those that have come from before without revealing them. Think hard. What are the elements that are different in your scene and world that showcase the individuality of your imagination? You may already have written a few, so don't worry about doubling up. Just make sure that they are inferred by the audience based on the active choices you are making in your story. Once you've wrapped that up, you'll have... A scene with four story world elements and four corresponding big and small components that are juxtaposed therein. Details on the characters in that scene, and how their choices lead to reactions from the others, revealing indirect characterization. Two tables that highlight elements of your story world, juxtaposed against elements that are found in other narrative universes, but that are absent in yours. If you get the chance, I might recommend watching that opening of Children of Men on your own and comparing yours to it. You'll probably have different plots, different characters, and different worlds, but if you juxtapose the two, you'll probably be able to find the underlying structure in each. Why do they work, or not work? You may think that yours is a better scene than that of Children of Men. This is perfectly fine, so long as you can elucidate why. If you can explain why you like your scene, or why it might need to shift a bit, or why your elements work, then you'll be showcasing that you know and understand your story world. If you can do that, then it will be a much easier leap for your audiences to do the same. Don't stop there, however. Keep on writing and keep on composing. Juxtaposition, like exposition, is one element in your narrative toolkit. You'll need to develop all of them in order to craft story worlds that drive audiences to engagement. We'll be digging into more in the upcoming episodes, so please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, or any fine podcatcher. You can find more episodes online at babsw.buzzsprout.com or on my website, steelphilipek.com. Reach out on Twitter at Words of Steel or on email via helmstarmedia at gmail.com. I can't wait to see what stories, characters, and worlds you come up with. Building a Better Story World is written, produced, recorded, and sound engineered by Steele Tyler Filipek. The theme song, Asia, is by Ilya Marfin via icons8.com. All narrative clips are used under the Fair Use Doctrine, as defined by Title 17 of the United States Code, subsection 107, in that they are used for nonprofit educational work for the purpose of analysis, have been transformed from their initial records by audio engineering for podcasting, and are not substantive of the entire work or function as a direct market substitute. Audio effects are provided by freesound.org under the Creative Commons license. If you feel that this production has unfairly used a piece of audio to which you own the rights, please contact helmstarmedia at gmail.com.